Welcome to Paid in Puke, the podcast where we discuss female-driven films through an inclusive feminist lens, with the help of the 1988 film, Heathers. Paid in Puke is hosted by Jessica Baxter, Amy Green, and Christina Barr. It's also a spoiler-filled free-for-all. You've been warned. On today's episode of Paid in Puke, we're visiting Colin Higgins' 1982 musical comedy, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, starring Dolly Parton, Teresa Merritt, Mary Jo Catlett, known to millennials as Mrs. Puff on SpongeBob, and known to Gen Xers as Pearl on Different Strokes. I thought that was oh, yes. fun. <laughs> and a whole bunch of actors who played a character called simply Chicken Ranch Girl. There were like 15 Chicken Ranch Girl credits. <laughs> Jessica Baxter. Oh, I'm Amy Green. I'm Christina Barr. The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas tells the story of a well-established brothel, which was a real brothel, started in 1844 in a small Texas town, and they'd been doing uninterrupted business for years. They got their name from the lean years when people could pay with the chicken instead of the two dollars. <laughs> the two dollar rate. They never say if the rate went up. I sure hope it did. I would hope, yeah. <laughs> the Madam Miss Mona is played by Dolly Parton and she basically runs like an orphanage for wayward girls. <laughs> and they all live together under pretty strict rules and responsibilities. Yeah, every girl that lives here knows Miss Mona's no-no rule. Ruby Ray Stardom. Feds not to be wallowed in. That's the kind of thing that big fat lazy hogs do. And it don't make money. Beatrice. And I won't tolerate no tying up my telephone with other people's business. Eloy's honey. And please don't show us no tattoos, no hearts and flowers on your thigh. It's downright tacky. Brands belong on cattle, and that ain't what we're selling at Miss Motors. Do you catch my drift? I pay the food and the rent and the utilities. You keep your mind on your work responsibilities. Don't let your mouth overload your capabilities. And we can get along. Everything's going great including a long-term, no-strings sexual relationship between Mona and the town sheriff, played by Burt Reynolds, a cab. When they get on the radar of one Melvin P. Thorpe, 
played by Dom DeLuise, a local television watchdog personality on a misguided moral crusade. Texas has a whorehouse in it. I'd originally had it in my mind that this was a Christmas movie because of that one Christmas song, but it's not really. It kind of ends on Christmas. So this will just be a regular episode instead of a Christmas episode. But I will say that I love a Christmas song. It's like just one of my favorite Christmas jams because I don't really like Christmas. The other thing to know about this is that it was adapted from a Broadway play, which was in turn adapted from a Playboy article about the real chicken ranch. And the name of the original TV pest was Marvin Zinder. And he claims that he wasn't against the sex work aspect of it, but that they were using it to sort of launder organized crime. I have a report here that says that the chicken ranch is involved with and under the influence of organized crime. When in actuality, the chicken ranch girls were working with the law when they would like overhear crime stuff, they would rat out their clients. So, wow. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if only they'd had a conversation. All right. So, let's just talk about what we liked about the best little whorehouse in Texas. Had either of y'all ever seen this before? No, I had not. I was familiar with it. I remember it being on TV, and I remember Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. <laughs> I think I saw some of it on TV, but I was like way too young to understand what was happening. It was like, this is a big party. Yeah. I think they probably cut a lot of Dolly it on TV Parton. too. <laughs> yeah. I've always loved Dolly Parton. Burt Reynolds, I guess he's sort of like a Florida celebrity. Like, oh, is that right? He went oh, to right. FSU yeah. and he lived in Florida for a long time. And... Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> like crazy. a famous Floridian. <laughs> Yes. So I had a roommate in college who was a real rich snot girl, and she asked me to proofread a paper that she wrote, and the paper was about their awesome other home in Florida. Like, she was from Redmond. And so we bought the house from actor Burt Reynolds. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So that's, like, how I knew that he had once lived in Florida, because my awful roommate's family bought his house. That's really funny. It's so interesting. These are the celebrated Floridian celebrities. Yeah, right. I just did a quick Goog, and it says Smokey and the Bandit 2 was filmed in Florida. I saw that a bunch of times. So, I don't know. <laughs> it kind of blows my mind that he and Sally Field were together for a while. Anyways. I guess working together, you can make some bad decisions. With it. <laughs> And get together with your coworker. But yeah, this is one of that's filed away and like, I saw this at way too young of an age and I didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> I also saw it when I was young and on TV and I'm pretty convinced that they must have edited it for television. First of all, I'm because sure, it's yeah. so long. It's mm-hmm. almost two hours. Oh, there's which, a lot of nudity too. Yeah, and that was yeah. definitely not, like the whole yeah. raid, I'd never seen that scene before. Which is so exploitative. <laughs> He's yeah. like, I don't want anyone to see all of these naked people that I'm videoing intimately. <laughs> Crazy, but I guess that tracks for moralist right. douchebags. But yeah, I bet it didn't make all that much sense when they edited it from television. Because I'm sure they cut out all kinds of stuff that right. was necessary to understanding and following the plot. That didn't need to be cut because of over-eager censors at the time. <laughs> What I remembered was the musical numbers. That was what really stuck out to me, and I really enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. I love the dance in the yeah. backyard, and the, oh, yeah. obviously the locker room scene is That's so really hilarious. And I feel like it's kind of a tribute to Isn't Anyone Here for Love? From Gentlemen Prefer Blonde. Yeah, like oh. hot dudes working out and ignoring women. We're gonna walk and stomp and whoop it up. Never, never 
yeah, they definitely are very heterosexual, all these right. men. They cannot wait to have sex with women. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just seen the Hard Candy Christmas scene a million times. Yeah, I love that song. It's so, so good. Hey, maybe I'll dye my hair. Maybe I'll move somewhere. Maybe I'll get a car. Maybe I'll drive so far they'll all lose track. Me, I'll bounce right back. Maybe I'll sleep real late. Maybe I'll lose some weight. Maybe I'll clear my junk. Maybe I'll just get drunk on apple wine. Me, I'll be just fine dandy. Lord, it's like a hard candy Christmas. I'm barely getting through tomorrow. But still, I won't let sorrow bring you way down. Dolly is obviously the best part and the reason to love this movie if you love it at all. (laughs) (laughs) It did have some trouble getting made. A lot of directors came and went, like were fired by producers or, and then there were a million different versions of the screenplay. And then actually that scene where Dolly and Bert drive up to wherever and get drunk was all ad-libbed. That was even in the script. Yeah. Which is kind of like the best scene with the best dialogue. And it's really funny. It always (laughs) blows my mind too. And you're like, the script is pretty bad except for this one part. And then you find out later, like the writer had nothing to do with that part. (laughs) They just riffed off of each other. They're just so good together in the scene. Hey, look, did you see this shooting star? Mm-hmm. That could have been a spaceship, you know. Yeah. You believe in spaceships? Sure. I saw a picture once. Tiny little fellers. Ball-headed, little feet, little hands. Got no peckers. Got no peckers? Well, I ain't interested. Mm. <laughs> Jesus comes to your house, all hell's gonna break loose. <laughs> <laughs> you got a point there, you know? Mm. But you know, Jesus was really good to Mary Magdalene, the fallen woman. He was always being very sociable. He went to this big wedding once, and they ran out of wine. You know what he did? Mm. He turned the water into wine. That's a man that knows how to throw a party. I thought that was hilarious. Like, all the talk about Jesus and... Like, oh, you knew how to party. Yeah. Whatever. Her take on it was, it reminds me of, like, Tammy Faye and her, you know, like, God loves everybody kind of vibe, which is, like, that's the best kind of Christian. (laughs) The one who actually practices what they preach. Shut up. Hot probs is on. Oh, shit, yeah. But I feel like also it was the only scene in which they really had chemistry because all of the scripted scenes was so stilted. I mean, obviously, like, Dolly's one of those charismatic people where... You know, you're focused on her, so it doesn't really detract from the scene too much if the other person isn't holding their weight, but Burt Reynolds is not pulling his weight. Especially, like, the sneaking around song, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> I like lots of cash on hand and dirty jokes about the fuller brush man. I like stuff I understand, like sneaking around with you. You know, I like a thrill that has no strings. Friendship that don't ever change. And laughter from the joy of things. And, and sneaking, sneaking around with you. Sneaking around with you. Going around or two. Doing what lovers do. Whenever they're sneaking around. That's sneaking around. Like, that whole scene was pretty fun, playful, but they also really seem like they're 
avoiding each other. <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like they actually want to, like, kiss or be in bed together. Yeah. That's strange. <laughs> that was one thing I totally remembered. The part where he is shirtless and he, like, took his pants down and mm-hmm. he's walking. Yeah. With his pants around his ankles and the boxers. Like really I'm like, I, like, I just so remembered that moment from watching it so long ago. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just weird. Like, that's what that I remembered. Was... Yeah, I thought it was funny. Very memorable. <laughs> I thought it was a little more tame scene, so that was definitely on TV. Yeah, exactly. I tried to find like what was cut in a TV edit, but I couldn't really find like a list or anything. Except for I'm sure that the raid scene wasn't in there. I was just like they ride in with the camera and then they come out. <laughs> yeah. And it's all over. <laughs> but that was like the most poignant scene in a lot of ways because it really shows how the predator is the TV guy and not the sex workers. <laughs> well, I just didn't like the ending with him bringing her to his truck and they're gonna yeah. go away and get married. I just didn't really believe in that relationship very much. Right. It would have been better if they had just parted. They kind of yes. had this symbiotic relationship where he was sort of protecting her and her business and then she would sleep with him. Their characters are supposed to be in love, I guess, mm-hmm. but I don't know, I just didn't work for me. There just ain't no way in this world it can work. You could make it work. Just have to give it a chance. If I should stay, well, I would only be in your way. And I know you're going to do a real good job in the legislature. But if you're to marry me... Wait a second. I love you. I don't give a damn what people say. Jules, hold it right there. I just felt like, oh, this is just a fun little thing or whatever. Like, he asked her to marry him, and she says no. She says no, but then she still and goes I'm like, with him. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's that's what it should be. Yeah. That's <laughs> the right call. Like, and then he gets her luggage and puts it in his truck. And he but he doesn't put it in the truck. Home. Just, I mean, it might have been like a goof or whatever, but he's like throwing it off the oh, yeah. U-Haul. And yeah. then when they drive away, his truck bed is empty. Like, oh. she doesn't have any of her shit. So hopefully she just comes to her senses and comes back. Maybe they're not going far. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I live in town. Yeah. You come back for your stuff. <laughs> but you're, you're totally right that that relationship ran its course and it was entirely a quid pro quo situation. And it's fun when like a quid pro quo can also be something you enjoy you know i do feel like she genuinely enjoyed his company but you definitely don't get like a love vibe from her at any point and in the real life story at least reportedly there was no affair between them but the sheriff was protecting the place it's interesting that they're like oh we have to have it be like a relationship because why else would a sheriff protect a whorehouse if he wasn't yeah. having sex with the madam yeah, i feel like that's probably just like for the movie you know yeah. like people want something like that in a movie you know yeah that's what i thought too i was like oh people just must have wanted them to drive off into the sunset in the end yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. like it was just wrapped up in a bow 
It would have been a perfectly happy ending if she'd driven off with Jewel, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> those two had a great relationship. They had yeah. way more chemistry than Dolly and Bert. I really yeah. loved that friendship. I guess it was more of a partnership. Like, they kind of co-ran the house, even though Mona was in charge, technically. Yeah. Well, Jewel, I just promised the sheriff that we're going to shut the place down for two months. What? How can you promise that? What about the football game celebration tomorrow night? <sighs> I forgot all about that. It's the Thanksgiving game, Miss Mona, and that's real special. Well, I know it's special, Jewel, but I don't know what to do now. I did promise. You think if we just close the doors to the regular customers, just went on with the party as planned, that'd be all right? I'm sure it will, honey. That party is a bigger tradition than the game. The movie is all about protect this whorehouse because, mm -hmm. you know, this is like a grand tradition mm -hmm. in Texas. You know, <laughs> like her sons who came back from World War II go to this. I think it's just wrapped up with me, like, seeing it too young, I guess. But it's just this idea that women are, like, this form of entertainment for men or, like, amusement for men. I don't... Well, it was there's like, not that much about the women. There's like, not that much about the women, women, and it's like, woohoo, we're gonna go to the chicken ranch, <laughs> and we're gonna have sex with yeah. these women, and yeah, there was nothing about the women. And then the sheriff's like, well, I'm sure your grandfather took his son, or I don't know, yeah. whatever, to learn about the birds and the bees. Go there with your friends after your business meeting or something. It's just like going out to get a drink. Just go mm. to the warehouse or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting how the townspeople justified it. You know, it wasn't like, oh, it's great that these women have agency. It was more like, well, it's good for the men in the town. I ain't never seen anything bad come out of there yet. And I've lived here all my life. Why, they attract a lot of business to the community. They pay their taxes, just like you and me. And no one, no one was ever forced to go up there. My Frank, when he was alive, used to go up there every Saturday. I took it as a blessing. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one guy yeah. that was like, if they can't find women to have sex with, they're going to rape I know. People. Oh, like, I think it's a good idea. So you take a lot of young boys, and they're going to be out there looking for women. If they can't find them, they'll rape them. And if they don't do that, they'll run to other women and get diseases. Those girls went to doctors. And these girls go to the doctor. I think if it were made today, it would be like a more balanced story. <laughs> yeah, well, right. definitely. The characters would have names besides Chicken Probably, Ranch Girl. Yeah. And right. we would learn more about them than like the one line they get to sing in Hard Candy Christmas. That's like, yeah. <laughs> gives them personality. Or they really try, you know, with their outfits to sort of yeah. differentiate themselves and their demeanors. But it's just hard. They're swimming upstream. <laughs> yeah. right. I really do feel like Colin Higgins was trying, and he had already directed Dolly in 9 to 5. So, oh, okay. so he was really trying to sort of continue his male feminism stance of the 80s, but it did not work nearly as well as it did <laughs> in 9 to 5. And it's so interesting that they're like, we really want to be feminist, but we don't want to involve any women in making this movie or <laughs> <laughs> telling the story. We understand feminism, so let's explain it to you. <laughs> yeah, I loved the Dom DeLuise character. Like, <laughs> I think he's so funny. He is <laughs> so really hilarious. I love how his show is, like, so gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Bodies close together, arms and legs all rearranged. And the sheriff does not close it down. That's very strange. Sometimes 
that you'd never guess would venture near. Acting all depraved and loose and wild. 90 miles from here. I love the part where he's in his cowboy boots and like that vaguely like soldier civil war outfit. And he's just chucking down and like, oh my God. He doesn't really care about what's happening. He just Mm -mm. wants to be famous. And like, that's part of the game. And like, he's just like a... It's just carpet like bagger yeah. from New Jersey. He looked vaguely like Ted Cruz to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> he but definitely like, that. Most corporations involved in false advertising would just laugh at a $50 fine, but you show up with your TV camera and give them a little bad publicity and they shape up faster than goose shit slides through a tin horn. Now, Melvin, it's that bad publicity I want to talk to you about. I like to hurt people. You take that report you're doing on the chicken ranch. That place is older than rocks and water. I wouldn't be surprised if your granddaddy took your daddy out there to learn about the birds and the bees. <laughs> I'm from New Jersey. See, I moved to Houston six years ago. <laughs> Texas suits my style. Point I'm trying to make is that every schoolboy in the state knows about it. Most of the politicians have slept there. And the mayor and the people of my county that voted for me, they want to keep things just the way they are. Hmm. You know something, Sheriff? It just struck me. We are in the same profession. I'm the electronic bounty hunter. I use a camera, you use a gun. Oh, Melvin, everybody'd be happy if you just dropped the whole thing. You know? I mean, those ladies out there, they, they perform a necessary function. I mean, right or wrong. Right or wrong don't interest me. I'm no moralizer. I leave all that to the preacher. Well, I'm glad. Anyway, the mayor was thinking maybe you'd want a little unnecessary publicity. <laughs> unnecessary publicity? Well, he's got me all wrong. I'm not one of those sensation mangas out to boost his own ego. Texas is a great place to go if you want to start that kind of fame, I guess. Yeah, it was more like he had this idea for a business, and the only way he could execute it was to go to this place where people are easily brought up in arms about moral things. Like, yeah. it wasn't going to happen in Jersey. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, I was getting, like, proto-Bill O'Reilly vibes from him, too. Mm-hmm. Not so much the performative flamboyance but just the idea of like i'm on a crusade but it's all obviously for show right Right. it reminded me so much of the righteous gemstones (laughs) it was great i just that was kind of the heyday for that the televangelist stuff yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i wonder if they ever talked about this movie in the writer's room on the righteous gemstones Like, it was entertaining, but I didn't feel like there was that much to this movie. Yeah. Know? Like, that was sort of like a general hot prop. I enjoyed watching I had never seen mm-hmm. this, never seen anything from it. Like, I remember, like, the poster. So I was totally fresh to it. It was entertaining enough, but, like, it didn't register with me in any way, really. For how long it is, there's not really <laughs> that much to this yeah. movie. Yeah. No. It kind of reminded me of Sweet Charity in that way. Like, that's way too long, but there are a couple of really memorable and good musical numbers, but the plot, it's also about a prostitute. (laughs) A hooker with a heart of gold, but it, like, kind of falls apart whenever they get into the weeds with the dialogue. (laughs) They should have just made a bunch of punchy musical numbers and made that the vibe instead of trying to explain everything in dialogue that just gets away from itself. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like the tension building, and then like, you didn't have to have the dialogue. It's like, well, I told you to close the place, and we didn't need it explained. Right. Yes. Spelled right. out for us, you know, and totally. That was 
all the conflict in the movie. You gave me a word and I took it. Now I'm the law. That law? You want to talk about the law? A bunch of crazies break into my house tonight, coming in here taking pictures, invading my privacy, and do you want to know what the law is going to do about that? I can tell you, nothing. They had no reason to do nothing if you had done what you said you were going to do. I trusted you. That's what hurt. I trusted you. Don't you talk to me about trust. I trusted you to protect me. I made a mistake tonight, okay? Well, I ain't apologizing. I'm a businesswoman paying out double taxes. I expect a little protection for my money. Where were you tonight? I couldn't get you on the phone. I, I was home in bed because you gave me your word you were closing down. Yeah, it was all spelled out when it didn't need to be. Yeah. There's like that monologue at the beginning. Jim Neighbors, the narrator, right. who's like, it all started with visit from <laughs> right. the football team. And then he's like, actually, it started three days earlier. Well, everything was going along fine, just like always, until that famous college football celebration. Some folks think that that's when the trouble started. You see, for years, the winning seniors of the Texas Aggie Texas U football game at Thanksgiving, they were treated to a night out at the chicken ranch by their alumni association. But actually, the real trouble started brewing about three days before. You're like three quarters of the way through the movie before the football team shows up and you're like, wait, what? Right. When are we getting to the football part? <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> right. There was so much that could have been condensed. As usual, I could easily make a 90 minute cut of this movie that makes exactly as much sense as it makes right now, <laughs> but it's just faster for people. <laughs> we just get through it. It's funny because Dolly wrote three numbers for the movie that got cut. Oh. It was already an established musical with a lot of the songs, but somehow three numbers got cut. And then she added in the I Will Always Love You parts. (laughs) 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 It was already released on an album at that point. Like, it's not that song was not from the movie. I had totally (laughs) forgotten it was in the movie. I was like, oh. That's weird that we saw two movies this week with that song. Yeah. We saw Priscilla earlier this week, and I loved Christina's story that she found about how Elvis wanted to buy the song, and Dolly was all on board until he asked for exclusive rights, and then she was like, fuck off, I'm recording it myself. Yeah, no way. That's so good. And then I love that she did give it to Whitney later. I'm sure Whitney had a lot less controlling demands about the song. (laughs) Like, we can both exist and have our own equally impressive versions of the song. Yeah. Right. I definitely don't like what Ed Earl calls Joel Porky. He can fuck off with that. <laughs> How are you, Sheriff? I'm fine. How are you, Porky? <laughs> oh, Sheriff. I've been real good all week. I've lost six pounds. Well, well, don't take that and off them cheeks. Oh, come on. <laughs> he calls her that a number of times. And I was just so annoyed by the scene where, I don't know if it's supposed to be cute or something, where Dolly's got her little outfit that she bought that she shows to him, and she's like, and I bought these little underwear for you. And he's like, hell no, I'm not putting those on. They are real little. In fact, guy could hurt himself wearing those things. I don't think so. Thank you very much. And Earl, I paid $20 for these plus postage, and I won't be wear Oh. You paid $20 for these? Yes. Well, you got screwed. Come on, Ed Earl. No. If they look half as good on you as I think they're going to, you ain't gonna have to wear them but a second, maybe less. It's not like she's asking you to take a picture and show it to everybody. Right. Like He does put them on, though. But I mean. then he like jumps under the blanket, yeah. and he won't let her see it for even longer than one second. I don't know. I felt like that was not GGG. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I agree with that. Yeah. Like I don't know it's GGG to want your partner to wear something they're not comfortable wearing, mm. you know. Okay, I see that point. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's not like he bought her this outfit and said, put this on. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like, it was so little. It's like, it's going to squish my balls. Or... Yeah, I don't remember how way putting it. it. <laughs> like, yeah. You like putting two bowling balls in a marble bag. Which I guess is the whole debate about what kind of underwear you wear. Either you like your balls squished or you don't like your balls squished. I mean, I love the look of boxers, but I feel if I were a man, no way would I want to wear them. Balls just flopping around like that. Yeah, it seems <laughs> terrible. Yeah. I don't like the look of boxers either. Well, that's just it. It's them damn droopy boxer drawers. I just hate the looks of them things. I've worn boxer shorts for years. And they look like it. These are a brand new pair. Oh. <laughs> But I think boxer briefs became much more of a thing. Yeah. When they first came around, it was like they were like a gay thing, and now... It's like, oh, the gays are onto something about Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a good look. Ventilation and stability. <laughs> right, yeah. That is a really good compromise. I think what looks best is just briefs, but I understand why it's like... Like briefs, like tidy whitey briefs? But not white. Any other color. <laughs> like black in particular. Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's an important decision to make about how you're going to <laughs> house your balls or stuff your pants as Dom DeLuise does. Oh my God. Was, I that love that whole so scene of him getting dressed. And he's like talking about how you cannot have false advertising. Yeah. Like, Give me that sock. And how the so extended funny. version of him like smoothing it out. I know. <laughs> Thank God we still live in a society where anything that's Phony or dishonest can't stand the light of day. Suck. I think he's hilarious. When I was like looking at reviews, I saw a lot of people be like, Dom DeLuise and his tired, whatever. Like a lot of just DeLuise slander. And I'm like, you guys are seeing this all wrong. (laughs) This is hilarious. Next call. It is funny too that he also acted with Burt Reynolds and Kim Oprah. I know. They were such a pair. (laughs) As you probably know, we're uh, we're the favorites too. be the winning uh, racers tomorrow in the cannonball race, which is going to be important. <laughs> Good evening, ladies. Evening. Hello. My name is uh, J.J. McClure. This is my... <laughs> what a double feature that would make. Right? <laughs> I talked a little bit about the Dom DeLuise slander, so I'll go into, I found a couple of examples. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Obviously, there are things to criticize about this movie, but Roger Ebert was focusing on all the wrong stuff, in my opinion. Roger Ebert was not a good film critic. I don't think so. I feel like his taste was so trash. I don't know why people, like, revere him. I don't either. But go on. Yes. (laughs) I'm going to let you finish. (laughs) Okay, here, I'll just read it. He says, if I were asked what image dominates the film, the honest answer would be Dolly Parton's plunging neckline. I feel like he reveals so much about himself in his reviews. Yes. (laughs) He says, I'm not trying to be cute. Don't worry, you're not. (laughs) The awesome swell of her wondrous bosom dominates every every scene Dolly appears in, and that includes just about every scene in the movie. Yeah, because she's the main character. Fuck off. What an insane day. Yeah. I want the lady to not have tits. I was distracted by her tits. So, bad movie. I mean, also, that's, like, her thing. Like, yeah. Right, like, yeah. And then he goes on something about the only time she talks about her tits is when she's joking about being top-heavy, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, that's funny. I couldn't be a ballerina now. I'm too top-heavy. I have a hard enough time balancing these things now without getting on my toes. 
<laughs> Why is that is a problem? She, is, she supposed, <laughs> is she supposed to be talking about her tits all the time? I don't, like, what is... It's just because that's all he could see. And then he says, whorehouses, Texas ones included, are not exactly very nice places, but the whorehouse in this movie almost seems like a refuge for wayward girls. Because that's what wow. it is, you dipshit. <laughs> problem i know i kept waiting for dolly to be sexy in this movie and she never was (laughs) what seriously she was cheerful spunky energetic angry sad and loyal like so wow i hate it oh my god but she was never sexy and not even in bed Oh my god. This carried on so far that Parton's only reference to her bosom, indeed the only moments in the movie where anyone deigns to even notice it, is about her problems lugging these around. It's also, matter of fact, it's asexual. That is so insane. <laughs> like, where do I even start? That's crazy. It's like, so crazy. What is supposed to be happening in real life? Like, there are people with big tits walking around like, tits, like, tits, you know, like, what? Yeah. what? No one even mentions it. Like, what? But I'm sure if she had been, like, Do you like focused it on her tits. Like, just are always talking about your tits. Love it. <laughs> I'm That's sure he wouldn't crazy. have liked the alternative either. It seems like he just wanted to complain about a female protagonist. That's really weird. Especially that he was like a large man in a time of like not body positivity, you know, and they're yeah. always referred to as like the ball guy and the fat guy, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. Yeah. It's a little bit of a double standard. Right. <sighs> yeah, I feel like every time we do one of these segments, one of them is a Roger Ebert review. Yeah. The New York Times one wasn't even nearly as egregious. It just says, the film lacks even the inadvertently buoyant awfulness that makes bad movies fun. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. And then the TV guide said, all the tunes are forgettable, which is so crazy. What? (laughs) What? Like, how do you not have some of the songs? Texas has a whorehouse in it. Lord have mercy on our souls. Texas has a whorehouse in it. Lord have mercy on our souls. It's just a little bit of this and but to Nothing much to see. No drinking a we get a nice white crowd. Plain as it can be. It's just a finish, but no time comes to place. Nothing too high tone. Just lots of goodwill and maybe one small three. Just lots of goodwill and maybe one small three. Yeah, and then he says Deloise and Reynolds ham it up mercilessly. Okay, like, yeah, they kind of... Is this supposed to be, like, the Yeah, Yeah. they do what was asked of them. (laughs) But yeah, the tunes are forgettable. Like, what kind of tunes are memorable for you? I need to know. What does it take? Does it have to be like the Bumblebee Tuna song or something to get stuck in your head? Yeah. You know, like my go-to example of a catchy song is the Bumblebee Tuna song. Yeah, that I came from that. like my kids a long time ago asked, what is the catchiest song of all time? Oh, okay. And so that's what I thought of. Right. I don't even know if I know that song. I don't want to sing it because okay. it will get stuck in your head forever. Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe the New York Times, their heads are up their asses. I mean, I couldn't even find a person who... intellectual bullshit. Yeah, that's true. That's my opinion. I agree. (laughs) And it was interesting, too, that I couldn't find a name to put to that review. Like, whoever it was was like, scrub it. (laughs) Just make this the New York Times take. (laughs) Maybe it's time to take a vacation. 
So that's the end of that segment. I love his God. Let's go get a slushy. We'll see some fun facts. Burt Reynolds got a hernia when he picked up <laughs> Dolly Parton in that one scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, the Chicken Ranch House was used as the Firefly House in House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, I didn't see that. It's pretty fun when you do a side-by-side comparison. <laughs> like that house. Imagine that house, but with like a lot of old dirty dolls hanging from the Ooh. porch. It did look like a spooky kind of house. <laughs> And at the time of release, this movie was the highest grossing weekend opening for an R-rated movie. Oh. But it was broken two years later by a Beverly Hills cop. Oh. <laughs> yeah, R-rated movies were kind of just becoming acceptable, I guess, at the time. That's cool. And then some alternate casting. Grain of salt, IMDb, but it has said that Chris Christopherson and Gene Hackman were up for the role of Ed Earl. Oh, wow. <laughs> Chris Christopherson, I can see. Gene Hackman, I don't I know, like, see does he much? sing? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, like, does Burt Reynolds sing, you know what I mean? Technically. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, and then they were also thinking Barbara Mandrell or Crystal Gale for Mona, but it's like, no. how could you yeah. top dolly? You can't. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I really wish that she had had more cinematic opportunities, because the only other one I could think of was uh, Rhinestone, which is oh. awful. Awful. Oh, yeah. That movie is fucking Sylvester nice. Stallone. Yeah. <laughs> Nine to five did her justice, I feel like. And then after right. that, they're like, what do we do? Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> I don't know what to do with her. Yeah. She's just so charismatic. Yeah, I mean, you just so can't funny. not love her. Like, yeah. who doesn't love Dolly Her Martin? best like, job is talk show guest. Like, anytime she's ever a talk show guest, she's just so good. She's yeah. Funny. Her that laugh just be her whole thing. is so great. I just love her laugh. Now, where do you hide your wrinkles? <laughs> Well, you'll have to ask the doctors in Beverly Hills about that. I don't know where they've got them. I feel like she's the closest thing we have to an angel on Earth, honestly. (laughs) She fucking funded a vaccine for COVID. (laughs) She's amazing. She stands up for trans kids. She's a fucking goddess. I love her. Sorry this movie didn't do justice, darling. (laughs) And sorry for Roger Ebert. (laughs) I've already started underlining meaningful passages in her copy of Mopey Dick, if you know what I mean. I love the lyric. It's just a little bitty pissant place. <laughs> it's just a little bitty pissant country place. Ain't nothing much to see. No drinking allowed. We get a nice quiet crowd. Plain as it can be. It's just a bitty squat no. Just lots of goodwill and maybe one small thrill. But there's nothing dirty going on. Nothing dirty going on. I love the word pissing. That forgettable song. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so funny. And then Tom DeLuise, if it says 60 nuts on the rapper. I want to see 60 nuts. I'm talking a full nut. Three score means 60, like the Bible says. So if it says 60 nuts on the wrapper, I want to see 60 nuts inside. And I'm talking full nuts. I'm not talking a half nut or nut bits or nut chips. I'm talking a full nut. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that. He really milked that line for all he could. And it's just so funny, like, how they're referring to television. Burt Reynolds is like, I don't know about that electronic shit or whatever. (laughs) This is 
new medium that's going to, like, spread like wildfire. TV has been around a while by then. (laughs) Right? And then he's like, television is a family medium. I was just like, LOL. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I wish that he had, like, a more clear motivation other than he was in love with Mona. Because in real life, the cop must have had some other motivation because he wasn't in love with the madam. So Mm. what was it that the real-life sheriff thought was sacred about the institutional brothel? Right, and he had plans for himself. He wants to be in the legislature. <laughs> I, I wondered if, the, do you know if they actually filmed that part in the Capitol? They in did, yeah. I went on a tour there. That is a really impressive building. <laughs> and it's fucking huge. Like, that's very cool. I, I like, feel like, like I read that it was the first thing they allowed to be filmed there. I'll have to mm. fact check that. I like, you got my vote. I might even go register. <laughs> They say an honest man can't be elected in this country anymore. But I don't believe that. This is a good country. I believe I could win. Well, you got my vote. I might even go register. And also, like the cows, appreciate the time off when the bull goes to another pasture. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. I like Dolly saying, that's funny how God can forgive you and people can't. Now, why is that? That's true. Now, don't be sacrilegious. I don't know. No. He forgives me. He knows I was kidding. Yeah, I know he forgives you. That's funny now how God can forgive you and people can't. Now, why is that? Well, because people are not very godly. I know. I know. Like, it's always a pleasure doing business, or sorry, I fucked it up. It's always a business doing pleasure with you, Charlie. (laughs) Did you remember to bring my check? I got it right here. Good. You know, it's always a business doing pleasure with you, Charlie. (laughs) And I like the sign that just said, closed on account of the TV. Yeah. (laughs) And then, like, the thing with the football players, when it's like, where we're going is better than this. And the guy's like, better than a football game? Football game? Yeah, that has some personal resonance as well. (laughs) I watched it with my husband, and I'm sure he feels the same way. (laughs) Torn. I like Jim Neighbors. He's like, my wife saw it on TV. They bleeped him out, but she read his lips on every hill. God damn shit. My wife couldn't believe what she saw last night. They bleeped him out, but she read his lips on every hell goddamn shit. <laughs> he's just, I don't know. He was really funny. I he's don't... so funny. He's very goofy. I just remember him in so many things, but I'm like, what was he in, actually? Gomer Pyle's the thing I oh, know from this. And I, like, I thought he was so annoying on that, so I was really surprised at how endearing I found him in this movie. <laughs> I wrote down one more mile of the chicken ranch because, like, they start off and they say, like, 36 miles, but where you don't see them singing all the way, but it's like they counted down the whole time. <laughs> 75 miles until we get to heaven. 75 miles until our plans are laid. 22 miles until we get to heaven. 22 miles until our plans are laid. One more mile. One more mile until our plans are laid. One more mile until we get.
more miles to the chicken ranch. 34 miles. Because, like, when they pull up, he says, one more mile, and then they're yeah. there. They're all hanging <laughs> out of the bus, like. <laughs> Timely reference, I guess, or evergreen or whatever was the politician saying. What do you think of the crisis in the Middle East? I was saying just this morning at the weekly prayer breakfast in this star capital that it behooves both the Jews and the Arabs to settle their differences in a Christian manner. Yes. <laughs> Woo! I won't get into that, but you know, there's a poignant line. There were many people in it that I recognized. Like, everyone was somebody that was in another popular 80s movie or something. Like, the mayor, and like, there was a woman in the diner. She was on the Golden Girls, but like, she was like the lesbian friend who develops a crush on Rose. Oh, Which I was like, oh my god, it's. Oh my god, <laughs> and then like Charles Durning, the governor who is in everything yeah, in the eighties. So like, I just remember him having a crush on Tootsie. Like, yeah. I've seen that movie like a million times, approximately. Approximately. Yeah. <laughs> approximately one million. Yeah, a million times. I do like his number. It's pretty funny. You get any of that? I hear him talking, but he don't come in. I love to dance a little sidestep. Now they see me, now they don't have And on and ooh, I love to sweep around the white step. Cut a little swat and leave the people on. <laughs> Every time he goes into the ooh. <laughs> I love to dance a little sidestep. I laugh every time. I wrote down, if you ain't a plu-perfect fool. <laughs> Reckon you fellas are waiting to talk to me? We sure are. You don't know the trouble you cause on this chicken ranch business. Now, gummy then, Earl, if you ain't a plu-perfect fool. You may be right. That was funny. That was pretty funny, yeah. And then I think this is Ed Earl that says, a year with you is like a minute of sheer happiness. I know a lot of in my life. None of them have ever been exciting to me like you are. Really? Even after all these years we've been meeting like this? Tell you something. A year with you is like a minute of sheer happiness. Well, now that is just about the sweetest thing anybody ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a great Mona line. They're always confusing crime with sin. Well, I bet he's running for office. That's typical of them crusading fanatics. They flare up every few months. They're always confusing crime with sin. And people just get sick of hearing it. And pretty soon, it just clears out here. Yeah. Which is interesting because she's Christian, but she definitely talks about, like, how misguided considering sex workers sinful is, so. Yeah. It's a loaded line. It was definitely showing, like, the two sides of Christianity, like, sort of performative side that is just about control and the Mona side. Right. Yeah. What else does a suicide need, huh? Now, if you'll excuse me. Seems like we might be ready for the lunchtime poll. So this is what's called a lunchtime poll. Uh, I didn't write down the lunchtime poll, so I think I remember. <laughs> it's an end of an era that's meaningful. Talk about an era that ended. The era's tour. Oh, God. <laughs> Talk about what era you were in at the era's tour. Just kidding. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I have to say, it's been a harrowing time for people who love football but don't particularly care for Taylor Swift. In general, if you don't care for Taylor Swift, it's been a, it's been a tough time. Lately. I can imagine. I'm not a fan of her music, but I don't mind her existence. <laughs> I think she could do more with her billion dollars. Oh, right. She mean? crossed the uh, B. <laughs> don't cross the B. She's a billionaire. Yeah. Got three commas now. 
<laughs> and I do kind of like anything that makes toxic football fans angry, but I'm sorry that it makes you angry. <laughs> but there are, I don't know, there are people that... Oh, really? Angry, I thought but... everybody's eating it up. Yeah. No, there's a lot of football guys really just taking attention away from my football game. Yeah, I mean, it's annoying. <laughs> like, okay. I'm going to watch football, not... All right. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm sure there's a toxic way to say that, too, but I don't know. I don't oh, get, I like... I just thought it was a gold mine for I mean, everyone. I, yeah, I think it's been great for football, yeah. you know. I just don't dig her. I don't get, like, what's... I always say this kind of thing, though. I know I am white and a feminist, but mm-hmm. I feel like she's so white feminism. Like, I stand for women. I support... It's like, do you... Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, what is it that... Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's fine. Like, if you're into her music, she's a star, all that fine. Like, I don't know. But I feel like she's not really deserving of being, like, an icon in any way, you know? I feel like she yeah. gets way more credit for, like, what did she really do? Yeah. She you knows know? how to make hits. Right, I mean, yes. Yes, that's it. I mean and that's she's prolific. I think she's a perfectly fine yeah. pop star. I don't like her music, but I think she's a fine pop star, but held up as some big deal in some other way that I'm like, I don't really see it, you know? Like, taking control of her catalog. Like, good for her, you know? But that is, like, for her. I don't think she does anything for anyone else, for, like, struggling artists or marginalized people or anything, you know? Which, like, she yes. doesn't have to. I mean, I feel like you should, but, like, yeah. you know? I feel like in some way she gets credit for something that she didn't do. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what people love about her so much but I know she makes a lot of girls happy which I like in a not actively offensive way <laughs> so that's good but I do think when the Spotify thing was happening I mean it's still happening right now what they're saying on Spotify we're gonna stop paying anyone who has less than a million followers or something like that they were never paying those people much anyway I what know. the fuck how are they saving money doing this and it would be so helpful if she said something like I'll pull my music if you right. don't compensate artists properly like she could tell definitely stand up for other artists a lot more than she is and you're right Amy there's no obligation but what are you doing with your billion dollars otherwise right. I mean I think I, <laughs> you do have an obligation when you get to a certain level of power and wealth I think you are obligated <laughs> to give back in some way you know yeah. that would definitely be the it's like humanitarian you know thing to do <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> I know you I'm are always, always saying, saying that. That was such a great line that you wrote uh, yeah, many just, years ago that has yeah. really taken off. <laughs> right. yeah. It's a great phrase that I coined. And I think it applies here. Yeah. <laughs> that was a tangent, but I think it was an important yeah. one. <laughs> We haven't had like any significant no, tangents I'm in a while. I definitely feel like she became famous at such a young age. She seems like she does everything to make people happy. And like, I hope she really likes this guy, but it seems like everybody really wants her to marry him. And like, we'll see how far will she go to please people. I know. And then there's of course the rumors that every man she dates is actually a beard. Right. Mm. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't that. know her. Uh, <laughs> I can do that, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Tracks. Which, if that's the case, that is pretty fucked up because that is yeah. you're in a very good position of power right. to bring attention to queer perspectives if that is what's going on. I watched her Miss Americana thing on Netflix and she has this comment. She says, like, the year you get famous is your emotional maturity age. That is oh. a thing people say. Wow. Yeah. And yes. I'm like, I can see that. Right. Dang. Like, that is a no- <laughs> Yeah. Like, when people get famous young, it's like you stop having to grow. 
you know. Oh, well, I mean, her I lyrics have not changed in any way. It's been exactly the same kind of song the whole time. I like hate the way she sings. Like, I feel like every <laughs> song is like a chant. I do not dig her music. Yeah, I don't either. Well, anyways, what's our... Yeah. Oh, right. Okay, the lunchtime <laughs> poll. lunchtime poll, how do you feel about Taylor Swift? I guess I just feel like teenagers should not be famous and have careers. Like, it's like it's bad for all <laughs> More know. and more evidence is pointing <laughs> to that. There's a strong case for, like, yeah. child acting to be... Well, yeah. like, why is that the one exception we make? Because you don't have jobs. Unless it's for our entertainment, you know? Like, <laughs> well, I'm listening, I'm listening <laughs> so to this crazy. audiobook, I'm Glad My Mom's Dead. Oh, yeah, I read that. Her mom god. sounds... Oh, my God. Ooh, that sounds like, like something I would love to be anorexic. the girl, Jeanette McCurdy, I think is her name, that was on... The, the show that Ariana Grande Kat was on. Like, Sam and Okay, okay. I think she was on iCarly, and then the spinoff is Sam and Cat. That's the one with Ariana Grande. Yeah, basically, it was like she was a teen star, and when she started developing, her mom taught her this fun thing about not eating. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very relatable story. (laughs) Fun. Woo. God. Ugh. Definitely have to look that one up. But yeah, and then you're in the public eye, and you probably have managers saying it too. It's not just your mom. It's also, Mm -hmm. like, your boss, which, again, should you have a boss? Other than, like, someone you're babysitting for when you're 17. Probably not. I don't know. If Clueless gives us any indication, like, it's perfectly (laughs) fine to have a bunch of grown-ups play teenagers in a movie. Like, the movie still works. (laughs) (laughs) We can suspend our disbelief (laughs) without actually, like, fucking up the adolescents. American Sniper gave us that scene with the straight-up plastic doll, which is amazing, right? That is so fucking funny. I love it. I didn't see that. I didn't see it either, but there's just a clip that went around at the time where it's like, you can really tell that it's a doll. (laughs) It's so funny. It was really obvious but like the idea of like why does it have to be a real baby you know i just think it's hilarious that in my mind i'm envisioning clint eastwood being such a cranky old man like he's like i don't want to deal with a fucking baby (laughs) or whatever he's awful yeah (laughs) well then shouldn't he be working with dolls and not actual baby i know i don't know what i don't feel like his motivations were pure whatever they were but (laughs) they weren't like i don't want to exploit a baby I'm not <laughs> I assume it was yeah. just one of those things where it's like you only have a limited amount of time with the yeah. baby, and then they went over, and it's like, all right, we have to shoot it with a doll. Yeah. <laughs> So funny. <laughs> there were like really realistic dolls though, but maybe there weren't. When did it come out? Twenty the last ten or something? years, or... I would say. Hmm. I don't know. Like, the dolls you learn CPR on are, like, really lifelike. Those little floppy baby dolls. We can just CGI floppy. a baby now. <laughs> I know, that's true. We can make anything so with funny. computers. Right. We don't need the... We can we just make old children? Actors. Yeah, let's do the de-aging thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just have right. baby Robert Downey Jr. play oh, every teenager. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that SAG got the AI clause. Oh, that's good. That was, like, basically the whole thing, right? Also, the day rate got a little higher, too. They should be, like, a shame. I guess it's another exception. It's like minimum wage should go up except when entertainment is involved. (laughs) What is it about that, anyway? Because you should feel so lucky that you're in this industry. Yeah, a lot of people don't get this opportunity. You can't put a price on that. (laughs) Or you can. It's $250 a day. (laughs) So this is what's called a lunchtime poll. All right, well, the lunchtime poll question is, what is an end of era situation that you had that was fun? Okay, I don't, know. I don't like the way I phrase this question. No, it's perfect. What was the situation you had that was fun 
end or meaningful. And then it was an end of an era. It couldn't last forever. Like you knew it couldn't last forever. You knew it couldn't last forever. Thank you. <laughs> I'll go first. I mean, I had a few, but the thing that I thought of for this was the newborn stage. Oh. When I, for especially the first time around, when Logan was born, that time where it's like, you don't have to do anything at all except like hang out on the couch with your baby, you know? And both my kids, especially Dash, but both kids were like very easy newborns, you know, like no issues, like slept great and nursed fine, you know? So I didn't have any difficulties. I didn't have sleep deprivation or anything. And my mom came to visit us right after. And then a couple weeks later, my dad came to visit it. My dad, I mean, both of them were super helpful, but my dad especially was like the best visitor because he loves wow. to cook, you know? So <laughs> yeah. he would go to the store every morning gets stuff and makes up and he's like very chill you know and just you know people like bring you food and want to see the baby you know it's just like such a nice time where you don't have to do anything at all other than hang out with your baby you know when I gained a ton of weight both times I was pregnant and when I left the hospital the first time like the nurse was like don't even be thinking about your weight for like the first couple months don't even you know and that was so freeing you know Mm -hmm. like it's one of the only times in my life that I haven't felt that way you know so it's just like I think most of the times in your life, if you're like just hanging out all day on the couch, watching TV or whatever, you feel like you should be doing something else. And this was the time where it was like, you don't really have to do anything else. (laughs) Maybe put a shirt on if someone's coming over. (laughs) So obviously that's not something that's going to last. But I feel like I really savored it both times that my kids were babies. That's great. I'm so yeah, I got glad a good, that you could do that. I got a very good newborn experience. Yeah. It's not easy for everyone to right. let go of responsibilities or perceived responsibilities. Because you're right that the responsibility is taking care of the baby. But we're not a great society for letting women off the hook when they have right. babies to take care of. Right. So, yeah, I'm so glad that you had that. That's Thanks. wonderful. I can go next. I am in a band currently, so this is no slander of my band that I'm currently in. But my first band that I was in, we sort of formed as just, and it's not like for anything other than having fun, but we liked to get together and sing, and we had a friend who could sort of play the drums, and my husband could play the bass, sort of. You know, we could all (laughs) sort of do something, except for this one guy who we knew who was like super good at guitar, and so he basically carried the whole band. He made us sound really great because he was so great. And I was singing and Emily played keyboards and I would write these little like raps. We started out playing Weezer songs and then we were like, let's mash up 90s hip hop into them. And then we did a bunch of those and it was so, so fun. So my 30th birthday was coming up and I was like, well, let's play a show. It'd be so fun to play a show with all our friends. And I put together like a battle of the bands that happened in our living room. And then after that, people responded so well to it that we had gig offers. Like we had three gig offers in kind of a short period of time, like six months. And so we were like rehearsing regularly and doing these things. And they were huge, but like we played two coffee shops and we played the rebar. Uh, And the rebar show was our last show. And it was so fucking fun. It was a mashup night. Oh, nice. uh, Put on by DJ Freddie King of Pants, who's a mashup DJ. And that was kind of like before mashups were a really well-known thing too. And he was really excited that there was a mashup band because he's like, I'd never heard of a mashup band before. He was like, it's all DJs. So it felt really special, even though when you listen to the demos, it's not like mind-blowing anything, but it was so fun. All I can hear is how much fun we're all having. And then the guitarist, he already had a kid, but then his 
partner was pregnant, so he's going to have another kid. And so he's like, I don't have time for this anymore. And we're like, okay, we understand. And we, like, tried to carry on without him, but it wasn't the same. And so we had to break up. And it was understandable, totally. I mean, it was, like, no hard feelings at all. But also just, like, how much fun we all had during that time. And I love looking back at our pictures. We had a couple of band photos where we were in front of the mural at our house. And we had little outfits we'd wear. We decided to all wear little sweater vests because of the Weezer connection (laughs) to it. It was just such a wonderful little time. (laughs) My 30th year of life. (laughs) What was your band name? We were called the MC Superman Skippies. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Are you still friends with that guy who was the... No. Oh, sad. Yeah. Was it a falling out or just a drift? No, just like a, at the time, none of us had kids except for him. Oh, so yeah. he was like, I'm in this parent world. And then yeah. it was years before the rest of us had kids. And we'd already lost touch. Oh, so his kids are like grown-ups now. Oh, my God. I'm sure they are. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I know in my mind it's still a middle schooler and a baby. <laughs> Well, mine is living in the dorm, like in college with my roommate, Amanda. We were like randomly put together and we just became so close the first year of college and it was just so much fun. It's my first time living outside of my mom's house and having all this freedom, but also like, I don't my answer isn't super long. Okay. I, I just really miss that time. Like an end of an era. You know, you can't live in a dorm forever. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always going to be really meaningful when you live on your own yeah, for the first time. And... It was like feeling like independent, but mm. it was like looking back, it was just like, oh my God, I was still like basically a child. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> But it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. I'm glad we're able to sort of, you know, not everyone is able to do this. But when you're able to send your kid off into this sort of softball mm-hmm. adulthood, yeah. <laughs> instead of just kicking them right like out the into soft the world. Yeah. Into a <laughs> exactly. Right, yeah. <laughs> How very. Watching it, I could not believe that's over 40 years ago. Oh, yeah. Age. And I was like, <laughs> looking at the cars in it, and I was like, Oh, yeah, I remember when cars looked like that. (laughs) That was 40 years ago. Yeah, it is really wild. Yeah, it is really wild. Like, like, things from my childhood, I'm like, holy shit, that was a long time ago. It's like, seems like another world, another life, you know? And then, especially when you consider that the only thing that's really changed is the cars and clothes. Like, <laughs> yeah. seems like the attitudes of politicians and cops and the general public is the same. That's what really gets me. It's like, okay, it was a long time ago, but right. yeah. when you're looking back on this 100 years from now, it's going to be like one long, I don't know, puritanical period. <laughs> if we don't blow ourselves up first. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, we always have to take a little tragic turn here. But. <laughs> The world is a dark place right now, you guys. If you enjoyed this episode of Paid in Puke, please take a minute to give us five stars on your preferred podcast app. If you did not enjoy it, no further action is necessary. Paid in Puke is hosted by Jessica Baxter, Amy Green, and Christina Barr. Follow us on Twitter at Paid in Puke Pod, on Blue Sky at Paid in Puke Pod, on Instagram at Paid in Puke Seattle, and on Facebook at Paid in Puke Podcast. Paid in Puke is produced and edited by Divine Betty Media. Music by Silent Partner and Jessica Baxter. Thanks for listening. You're beautiful. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up.